Welcome to The Leverage Point. A podcast about your development and performance at work. Improvement doesn't need to be hard. Boring. This podcast is a pragmatist's guide to growth, achievement, and success. Discover your leverage point. I'm Sergey Garbatov. And I'm Angela Lane. We're researchers and practitioners in the field of talent, human performance, and behavior. Together with you, we'll translate science into leverage points. Today, we'll discuss leverage points for your career together with Mark Efron. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, Sergey. Great to be here. Mark is committed to helping companies build better talent faster. He does this by finding ways to make individuals highly productive by leveraging the science of human performance. Mark is a prolific writer and his recently published book, Eight Steps to High Performance, is fantastic. Mark, we are excited to have you here to talk to you about one of those steps, a controversial one, if I can say that, that's all about faking it. And we hear, uh, we hear a lot of comments about that. So in uh, eight steps, you have a whole chapter dedicated to faking it. It's step six of your model of high performance, to be exact. And the other steps are more intuitive, and it's easy to see how they lead to exceptional performance. For example, step one, set big goals. Two, behave to perform. Step three, grow yourself faster. Four, connect. Five, maximize. Even seven and eight, commit your body on the importance of sleep and exercise and avoid distraction. But step six, fake it. It raises brows, isn't it? So maybe you could explain what you mean by faking it. Happy to talk about that chapter, and you're right, Sergey. That is the one that yields the most screaming when I, well, when I used to talk to public events, and, and even over the internet, it uh, elicits lots of screaming. And oftentimes, people will say, "Well, you intentionally chose a provocative label for the chapter." It's like, well, if you read the rest of the chapter titles, they aren't especially provocative. I didn't decide to go out into left field for this one. When I wrote that chapter, the intention was to really dial up the behavior change uh, dial and say, look, there are times when our core personality, our the behaviors that we're well-practiced at, or even the behaviors that we believe are the right ones, aren't going to be sufficient to allow us to be a high performer. There might be times when we need to fundamentally fake a behavior that either we just have believe we have no skill in or more challenging way we don't believe is the right behavior to display. So the title fake it is meant to say we're not saying that you should stretch your behavior or adapt yourself or try and fit with a few different situations. That chapter says there might be times when you need to fundamentally show up as someone different than you are and that is faking it. That is literally it's putting on an actor's face and saying I have a role to play today. What's the role I need to play? So, Mark, that's so interesting, and especially because it's contrary to much of the advice that you would read about if you read the kind of popular development press. We can read so many books, and they're all encouraging us to be authentic. So can you help build a bridge for the listeners about how you think about this idea of authenticity? Does faking it reduce our authenticity, and therefore does it reduce how we're seen, especially if you're a leader? Great question. And the challenge is when we have labels like authentic leader, which on their face sound completely defensible. Who would want to be an inauthentic leader? That seems like a bad place to be. Therefore, authenticity must be good, which is why I love to start with the science, because I don't walk into the question either thinking it's good or bad. I'm simply asking, what does the science say about it? And the science is really, really clear. 
that you can show up in one of two ways when you walk into a new situation. Let's say I walked into a meeting room where uh, Angela and Sergey were. I didn't know you two. A chameleon would walk in and say, what do these two need from me today? How should I adapt my behavior, my style, how aggressive or passive I am to make sure that this meeting goes exceptionally well and that we achieve our goals? So one way that you can walk into a new situation is as a chameleon, thinking, I'm going to adapt to the needs of this unique situation, try and figure out how do I ensure a successful outcome. The other way you can walk into a situation is as a bull. A bull storms in and says, I'm here. I'm the bull. It's me. It's all about me. That's very authentic. Bulls are really authentic. They're always a bull. You know they're a bull. They're proud of being a bull. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when being a bull is the right thing to do, but the science would say that showing up in a way that makes others feel good, showing up in a way that is about optimizing the the successful outcome of whatever that interaction is, is going to lead to you being a higher performer. And so the challenge is that when we say fake it, people naturally, to your point, Angela, say, but I'm supposed to be authentic. Well, authentic is one of those empty vessels that people fill up with whatever definition they like. And that's part of the challenge is they hear authentic leadership and they don't read the book. They don't read the research. They hear it and they say, that's a good thing. That means that all those things that people don't like about me and and how I show up, that's the authentic me. And how dare you say that I shouldn't be the authentic me? I've worked hard for you, blah, blah, blah. Instead of saying, look, I'm probably pretty good at some things. I'm probably not as good at other things. There may even be some behaviors I display that aren't ideal in every situation. Therefore, the authentic me might be the bull, not the chameleon. And if people are more open to simply saying, yeah, there's probably some parts of me that are annoying to others. Maybe I could turn those parts down a bit. There may be some times when how I would naturally respond to a situation isn't the right way. Maybe I could fake what I think is probably the right way to do it, even though I don't prefer doing that. So part of the challenge is, one, the science is really clear that adaptation is going to be a more successful strategy than being exactly who you think you are. But also it's that I'll call it the empty vessel problem. We find this with things like growth mindset. Sounds great until you kind of dig beneath the surface. Same thing with authentic leadership. The science behind it, really, really shaky. Here, I'm doing this on uh, on purpose. I can't resist. I'm going to wind you up a little bit because uh, this idea of the the bull in uh, in your example, perhaps the bull in the in the china shop, also runs counter to the idea that we should go with our strengths. So, how do you fit this idea that we should play to our strengths in with ah, I've got to um, adapt some of my natural behaviors and be this chameleon? I think there's probably two angles to that. One is that, as we just talked about, your strengths might not be the right strengths for every situation. But also, let's go back to the science. And a lot of people, and we ask this question all the time in our our Talent Management Institute class when we're talking about development, and we work with lots and lots of HR pros around the world. We say, hey, what is the most effective way for people to develop? Should they focus on their strengths or should they focus on their weaknesses? 80-20, raise their hand, focus on their strengths. And we'll say, cool, why do you think that? And they'll say, well, there's that book that says, focus on your strengths. And we'll say, great, that book has sold millions and millions of copies. What does that book say? You should focus on your strengths. To do what? To be a higher performer, to be more successful, to develop faster. 
Even Gallup doesn't claim that. I beat up on Gallup a lot because they make some, in my view, shaky claims. But they don't even claim that focusing on your strengths will make you more effective. Their literature says simply, you will enjoy focusing on your strengths more. And I agree. Whenever I focus on my strengths, I'm a lot happier than focusing on my weaknesses. I, I decidedly hate focusing on my weaknesses. <laughs> but the challenge is that, let's take a, a really basic example. Let's say that you are a brilliant project manager. That is one of your outstanding strengths. You get stuff done. Everything is in the boxes at the right time. Stuff gets done, and you are disciplined, and every deadline gets met. Cool. That You're a brilliant manager, brilliant project manager. And then you get promoted to being a director. And it's still in the project management department, but you've got a team now. But, man, you're all about, you know, you're all over them. Where are the plans? I would do it this way. People think, well, you're a little annoying. It's still project management, but it's it's helpful. I wish you'd kind of get off my back, but oh, it's fine. And because the company's growing so quickly, you get promoted to VP. And your strength, project management, get stuff done. But okay, at the VP level, you've got a team of 40 people underneath you. And one, you can't manage all their projects for them. Two, they don't like it when you step all over what they're doing. And all of a sudden now that strength of project management is a weakness. It's not even neutral. It's dragging you down because you're not leading. You're not developing the other skills that are needed at that higher level. You're continuing to kind of push that one button that says project management. So strengths are a wonderful focus if you want to stay in the same job and simply get better at that job. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some people are in a job that they like. They want to be brilliant at that job. Focusing on your strengths is a fantastic strategy. But if you want to move up in the organization or you even want to move to a different role, there's no reason to assume that the strengths that made you good in role A will make you good in role B. I was really smart being a project manager. Therefore, I'm going to be a good artist. No, probably very different strengths required to be an artist. So, uh, and that's a bit of a soapbox. Sorry, you did get me wound up, Angela Lane. <laughs> dare you. But what we know is that strengths are wonderful. Strengths are the core. You know, one of my strengths is I'm a bit provocative and, and I, I don't mind being skeptical. But if that's all I did, and that was for early part of my career, I did a lot of that. People said, you're going to plateau because, you know, the more people you interact with, the fewer people you're going to find who enjoy that style. So you learn to kind of dial back that to the right place and build other strengths of interacting. So, yeah, I think strengths is fine if you're going to be in the same job. If you, gotta, you know the box and you want to fill up the box, cool. If you want to do anything outside that box, you got to focus on a new set of strengths. Great. Thank Fantastic. you, Mark. I, I really appreciate how you bracketed that. Uh, so strengths are not inherently good. Weaknesses are not inherently bad. It's all about the context, what you want to achieve, where you are, and how that aligns with your motivations, your ambition, and uh, your actual capabilities. I would want, uh, would like to look back to that metaphor. I loved it. Uh, the chameleon versus the bull. That reminds me of research done by Erminie Barra. Uh, right now, she is in London Business School, but she's one of the experts on the topic of professional identity, and she encourages us to engage in what she calls identity play or small experiments that allow you to try out new behaviors. And uh, she argues that feeling fake is a sign of growth. And this is very close to what Arnold Lazarus, a South African psychologist, called being an authentic chameleon. Yeah, an authentic chameleon is a, a fascinating concept. You are authentically changeable all the time, experimenting, sensing the situation, adjusting, 
And looking at this stream of research, cultivating their authentic chameleon skill seems to be very important. So how do you coach someone to be an authentic chameleon? Uh, I think there's probably a few steps there. And I'm, I'm thinking through this for the first time. So um, I might not be as linear as I want to be. Um, I think the first step is awareness of what we were just talking about. It may be that your natural set of behaviors and natural interaction style isn't exactly right for every single situation. So let's kind of get folks to recognize, yeah, I'm probably good in a lot of situations, but yeah, maybe there are some where I could be a bit better. Cool. Let's identify the one behavior that you need to fundamentally do differently in order to win in, in that situation. Cool. We're at the two easiest steps. Three, recognize that you need to turn that dial up further than you've ever thought you needed to. And you need to remove any internal objections that that's not the right thing to do. Let me take an example. Office politics. Some people manage office politics really well. They don't think of it as office politics. They think of it as relationship building and networking. But if you're on the other side of that ledger, you might say, I'm not that type of person. I don't need to work that way. My good work stands for itself. Well, absolutely. Up to kind of the supervisor level, maybe your good work stands for itself. After that, there's a lot of relationship building or politics, depending on where you are, that you need to play. And so let's say I'm someone, let's say you're coaching me, Sergey, and, and we get through that first two steps. Mark, you might not be perfect everywhere. Okay, I'll suspend disbelief. Um, and uh, here's... Here's the one behavior you need to work on, which is you know networking better. And then you say, hey, Mark, in that next meeting that you're going into, your boss and your peers are going to be there, you are going to compliment each of them. I might say, I'm not going to – they're idiots. I'm not going to compliment them. You say, Mark, you're going to compliment everybody in that room. It's not going to be – it's not going to be you know, balloons and celebration. You're going to say something nice to make them feel good about themselves. Sorry, they're going to know I'm faking it. Well, actually, Mark, Sergey would say, the research is very clear. They actually won't. Lots of good research. People believe the fake behaviors over our natural personality. Because most of the time when we're faking a behavior, we're faking a behavior they want to see. Most of the time, people are not going to say, how dare you compliment me? He complimented me in that meeting. Did you hear him? They're going to say, it's about time the guy said something nice about me. I'm working hard around here. Most of the time when we're faking behaviors, we're faking desirable behaviors. And so the recipient, one, is going to believe that you're genuine. And because you're faking a better behavior, they're going to be pleased in, in the kind of direction they see you going. So step three is for you to say, Mark, you're going to need to put on an actor's face. You're going to need to show up as a different character than you show up as every day. And you're going to need to be the guy who makes others feel welcome, respected, and valuable in that meeting. And that's the, the challenge is I need to want to be a high performer enough to put on that actor's face and say, yeah, I'm going to show up as someone different than who I naturally am. I love the idea that you're now thinking about behaviors and which behaviors are important and which behaviors are people looking for. In your book, you argue that not all behaviors are equally important and that there are some really important behaviors that we need to fake if they don't come naturally. What are those behaviors and how tough is it to move beyond faking them to actually get good at them? 
I think there's probably two ways of looking at the question, which behaviors matter. Let's, let's look at the managerial framework first. Most of us, if I asked both of you, make a short list of what a good manager does. You'd probably come up with a, a fairly similar list because most of us in our minds have this kind of good manager construct. You know, They're supportive. They give me lots of feedback. They interact with me in, in a polite way, kind of a, call it a generic good manager framework. When you dig through all the research on managerial effectiveness, that model certainly comes out loud and clear. It's kind of the transformational leader model, for lack of a, or it's an actual term, but for lack of a different frameworks, transformational leader does all those things. There's also, though, research that says there's another model of managerial effectiveness that works just as well, and that's the hard-driving manager, which is, let's say Angela is my manager, and she says, Mark, here's a big assignment. I have high expectations for you. Here's the goal I want. Get it done. Some people love that style, and that style can be extremely effective. The other style can be extremely effective. So I think part of the challenge is, is understanding there isn't an ideal managerial style, and maybe this harkens back to the faking it a little bit. There are likely going to be a few different styles that work, that transformational style of kind of you know caring and supportive and directive is going to be one style, but that more hard-charging style can be just as effective as long as that fits with the culture and the team that you're trying to manage. So in the book, I describe both of those, and I think it's a, a kind of a helpful read just to, to educate ourselves on there's not one right way of doing it. So I think that's one starting point is there's probably at least two ways you can be a very effective manager. The other, though, is that classic challenge that, that all of us have faced in the corporate world, which is we need to sometimes ask other people which behaviors they want to see from us. I mean, this is the heart of, of a lot of both of yours work around feedback. I'm never going to know what I could do better unless I can humble myself and say, Sergey, Angela, we just had that podcast for an hour. I felt okay, but you know, what one thing would you want me to do more of, less of, or differently if we have another podcast? Most of us never ask that. I don't typically ask that either. But if we did simply have that very humble conversation after a third of the meetings that we have, and I'm not saying the meeting has to go bad. You could have felt that the meeting went beautifully. But you say, hey, that felt okay, but if I could do one thing differently. And the question isn't, is there anything I could do differently? Because the answer is, no, you were great. Even if you weren't great, the answer is, no, you were great. It is can you give me the one specific suggestion for something I could do differently, more of or less of going forward? I'm going to guess that anybody who's worked with you for more than a month is going to have an idea at the tip of their tongue for one thing you could do a little bit differently. So I think there's one framework. Yes, there's a few different managerial styles that work, but for a more kind of personal adaptation of behaviors, we've got to ask. And that means turning down the ego to say, yeah, maybe there's something I could do differently that will make me more effective. Only way I'm going to find out is saying, hey, Angela, what could I do? Hey, Sergey, what could I do? There's probably two tracks. One track is I'm going to fake it because I feel really uncomfortable doing that, but I would love to be great. So one track is kind of faking it is I'm going to suspend disbelief that I'm not good at it. And maybe it turns out I'm good at it. So if faking is a round of practice that leads to another round of practice and another round of practice, then you probably change as quickly as you get multiple reps on that, that behavior practice. On the other hand, faking might be, I know I need to do this. I don't like it. I don't believe in it. But I know it's effective. Then faking is simply faking it. I mean, the example I always give, and this is not that I don't like doing it, but I do a lot of public speaking. I don't always like getting up in front of a big audience. 
And their mornings, I would just much rather be sitting reading some you know, boring academic journal, and that would be a lot more entertaining. But people write me big checks to stand up and speak, and they don't want to see me stare at my shoes and mumble. And so when I walk on stage, oftentimes I fake being, gentlemen, you guys know well, Marshall Goldsmith. And it's not that before I walk out on stage, I think, what would Marshall Goldsmith do? I think, I am Marshall Goldsmith. I'm putting that actor's face. Today, the role I'm playing is Marshall Goldsmith. Because if any of you listening to the podcast have ever seen Marshall Goldsmith, he is brilliant. He is warm and funny and engaging and smart. And you can watch him on stage for half a day and say, is there another half day that you can give us? And so I walk out and I'm not Mark Efron. I have Mark Efron's content, but I'm funneling through that Marshall Goldsmith personality or how I interpret it. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? It's probably not Mark Efron, but there's a lot of Marshall Goldsmith in there. So I think being Marshall Goldsmith. Now, when I walk off stage, am I still Marshall Goldsmith? No, nope, I'm back to being Mark Efron. But for that one hour, I faked that behavior because that audience, that chameleon looking audience, they wanted something from a speaker. Mark Efron was an empty vessel called a speaker. They wanted a speaker who showed up and did cool stuff. Good. I know someone who does that, Marshall Goldsmith. And so I'm going to play that role. So, Mark, I'm going to venture a hypothesis here. After trying that Marshall Goldsmith persona, it was more natural. Uh, you, you got yourself into faking it, so it became more comfortable, it became more habitual. So is faking it another way to say deliberate practice? There's definitely an element of deliberate practice in it. I think to the earlier conversation, the question is, is it deliberate practice because I really think I'm going to get good at it? Or is it deliberate practice because I'm going to become more comfortable faking it? And I guess we need to figure out where's the distinction between those. I'm never going to be Marshall Goldsmith. It's not my personality type. It's not a set of behaviors I'm going to try hard to emulate. But I can fake that well for an hour. And so did I get more comfortable? Yeah, I've never been an actor, but I imagine if I was in Hamlet and I've been on stage 20 times playing Hamlet, I'm going to be good at Hamlet. I'm not Hamlet when I walk off the stage. But I've played the role enough that I know the nuances, and I know the laugh lines, and I know exactly how to deliver things. But it's still not, you know, it's still a character that I'm playing. That's actually a really helpful distinction. I haven't thought of it like that. And it makes me very excited about faking uh, it. I want to take us back to the book. Because you talk about some of the important skills that people may need to fake in the chapter. And one that I'd love to explore a little bit more is the skill of managing up. So to me, and I know to a lot of others, that idea of managing up is just full of the worst connotations. So Mark, talk to us. Make us feel better about managing up. So uh, as in probably any author's writings, there's a bit of self-projection. And so the connecting chapter where I talk a lot about kind of managing up, there's a lot of me telling myself what I need to do because the research is very clear. And in that chapter, I, I pull up a lot of Jeffrey Pfeffer's work. Jeffrey Pfeffer, great professor at Stanford, and he's written a lot about power and how most of us don't understand power and don't understand how to use power. And one of the primary ways to get power is to ingratiate yourselves with others. Now, that word alone probably has half your, half your audience just bristled. Oh, my God. A lot of power is making other people like you because you don't want a bunch of people around you who don't like you. Therefore, if somebody seems to like you, you're going to be pulling them along. And the science is really clear that 
the better relationship you have with your boss, the faster you're get, going to get promoted, the higher performance rating you're going to get. And the research even says, even if you're a lower performer, you're going to get a higher performance rating if you have a strong relationship with your boss. Not a good long-term strategy, but the science is clear about that. So the science is clear that good relationships are productive, but some people are fundamentally uncomfortable with that. What I say is, bosses are people too. Treat your boss the same way you treat a good friend. Sometimes you would ask a good friend out for coffee. Hey, we, we haven't chatted for a while. We'd love to grab a cup of coffee and kind of catch up. Sometimes you compliment your friends. Hey, I saw you in that presentation. That was fantastic. That was you know really sharp and powerful. Treating your boss like another human being friend is simply a great way of building that relationship. Now, obviously, different cultures, different power distances, and, and you certainly have to be respectful and age. Uh, those all needs to be factors. But you can be friendly with your boss just like you're friendly with your peers. And since a lot of people think of being friendly with your boss as sucking up, you're probably going to be one of the few people who are doing that. Now, there's a lot of gray between doing nothing and sucking up. You need to figure out where that gray area is the right degree of relationship or the right amount of relationship to have where I'm building a strong, productive friendship with my boss, but it's not, oh, gee, Angela, love your new hairstyle. You're looking, I mean, there, there's a level where it's like, turn the dial down a little bit. But for most people who say they don't want to manage up, there's a lot of extra room that they could do to, to manage up. But it really comes down to treating your boss like you treat any other friend. Here's where the faking it comes in, even if you don't want to be their friend. So let's say, I don't like this guy. I don't want to have a cup of coffee with him. Great. Put on the actor's hat of boss's best friend. Go have a cup of coffee and talk about their family and their interests. And, hey, I know you're a big sailor. Have you been on the boat recently? Do whatever you need to do to build that relationship. But that's fake. Yes. Yes, it is. It's also proven tactic for being more successful. So everyone needs to find their level of comfort on that continuum. And it's a big continuum. But most folks who say, oh, I don't want to manage up. What they're saying is I don't have the relationship skills to build the right relationship with my boss. And I'm going to use that as an excuse to say I don't like doing it. Thanks, Mark. You've uh, really built a case for uh, for faking it. Uh, and uh, we clearly see how it can be a leverage point uh, for anyone who wants to be more successful in their career. Our conversation today is drawing to an end. So um, I just have one uh, one last question about how much is enough. You encourage us to take advantage of our colleagues' willingness to see us behave in a different light. And uh, you said earlier that we are probably faking desirable behaviors. So our colleagues do want us to fake a little bit and they want us to be flatterers. The science tells us that even when people know that we are being flattering, that still improves the relationship. Mm -hmm. The question is, how much faking do I need to do? Like, when do I know when to stop? Yeah, I think uh, most of us, for most of us, there's very little risk that we're somehow going to transform into a new self that we'll never recognize as we faked it so much. Most of us are going to revert to our core personality because that's the way core personality works. It's unlikely that we'll kind of break our personality and never be able to get back to where we were because we faked it. The risk that will somehow not become genuine, very small. But to how much faking? First, faking is tiring as well. So faking a behavior that's not your natural behavior, you are acting. That's a more that's a higher cognitive load than showing up being who you normally are. So what's the one behavior? What's maybe the two behaviors that are going to make the most difference in you being a higher performer at work? 
fake those. Because if you're faking every behavior every day, it's going to be really difficult to get through the day. But there's probably one or two things that you can do that are going to make you meaningfully more successful at work. Great. Start with whatever that first one is. Fake it. Get good. Convince yourself that you can do that. The only caution I have is if you go into work saying, I have to be a completely different version of who I am to succeed around here, that's probably not the right fit. You shouldn't need to fake everything to feel great at work. but all of us have our high points and our, our low points, and we should be able to say, yeah, there's one or two low points that I know, I know I need to build up by faking. But if you say, you know, every day I show up with 12 fake behaviors, probably the wrong fit. Let's find a new culture where, where it's going to be a better fit for you. Fantastic. That's it for today. Thanks for listening in. Remember that small changes can lead to big impact if you find the leverage point. So keep asking yourself, what's my leverage point? And to continue the conversation of faking it or not faking it, do share this episode on social media with a comment or a question to the wider community. Or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Bye. Bye. Bye.